Thank you, Rifle. Um, <clears throat> yes, thanks for, thanks for having me um, this morning. It's always a pleasure and joy for Kristen and I to come worship with you all here. Uh, thank you, Mike and, and Rachel, for leading us this morning. Um, is that me? I need to do something? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so, uh, this morning I'm going to preach a sermon that uh, I helped uh, John Duncan. I'm the student minister over at Gateway Church. Uh, over the other side of town, uh, and I helped John Duncan over there preach a series, and this sermon's from that series, and we entitled that series, But God, and we looked at, uh, at passages of Scripture that, that have that phrase, those two words, but God knows our hearts, or but God <clears throat> has showed mercy, has shown mercy in our lives, and um, the, the theme of that being when, when you're at your, your wit's end, when you don't know what to do, everything seems to be going horrible, you don't know how to turn it around, but God. He shows up, He acts, His presence is felt in your life. And, and that's what we looked at in the series, and that's what we're going to see this morning. Uh, some, I've heard some pastors preach similar sermons, and, and they, they, they've said, that those two little words, those six letters, are the two most beautiful words in all of Scripture, but God. And, and I hope we're able to see that a little bit this morning as we look at 1 Corinthians 1. Most of our time will be spent there. If you want to turn on over there or just look on the screens. But in 1 Corinthians 1, we see that, that God chose. He chose something. We're going to see exactly what God chose by reading 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose. He chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of of God, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray this morning, and we'll we'll begin. <clears throat> Father God, thank you uh, for this this morning. Thank you for Grace Harvest, the leaders here, Rifle, Bobby, Mike. Um, I'm sure there are many others that I'm forgetting that that lead um, often and serve often. We're thankful for for the the truth and the reality that that uh, your body is is uh, much bigger than Grace Harvest, much bigger than Gateway. Um, we're thankful that, that it's, it's worldwide and throughout all history, and we're thankful um, for uh, Jesus, who, who you, you came and you died for that body, so that we might um, go and live and know that, that we've been chosen by you um, and, and made beautiful because of your death on the cross. Um, Father, be with us as we, we worship this morning. We know you're always with us. I pray that your spirit is felt uh, this morning. Help us to be more aware of that. And uh, help us to go from here, not, not leaving things that we've learned, the things that the spirit has shown us here, but we're able to go and take it out into the community and, and spread the gospel um, there because of you. We love you and we thank you. It's your son's name I pray. Amen. In, uh, in the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, we see that uh, Indiana Jones, his goal is, is looking for the Holy Grail, right? The true Grail, and it's going to bring everlasting life. 
um, to whoever drinks from it. <clears throat> and, and he goes and they, they find out where they believe the Holy Grail is. And, and he goes with his team and they go through all these different traps and obstacles. And they get to the last one and they're in a room filled with grails, right? We've all seen the movie. And, and he's got to choose wisely. Because the true grail brings everlasting life, but a false grail brings destruction. And so he knows the weight of this, and is thinking through it, trying to decide which one is the true grail. And as he's thinking, his antagonist, his enemy, who's been right on his heels the whole time, comes barging in, a guy named Donovan, with one of his helper's sidekicks. And he's more uh, interested in just beating Indiana Jones, and so he quickly takes... Him, him and the help of his sidekick, they quickly take uh, the, a grail that they believe is the true grail, and they pick the shiniest, grandest, best-looking cup, and he drinks from it. And say it with me, he chose poorly. No? Nobody's a big fan? Okay. I'll say it by myself. It's fine. Uh, Mike said that this was like a, a response, and we're in this together, but whatever. It's fine. I'll be up here. Uh, <clears throat> No, he chose poorly, right? You've seen the movie, spoiler alert. Sorry, it's, it's been out for a long time. You should have seen it already. Uh, and he brings destruction. And so Jones has a little bit more time to figure out which is the true grail. And so he thinks about it for a while. And he finally decides on this small, wooden, dull-looking cup. He says, that's, that's the cup of a carpenter. That's the cup of King of Kings. That's the true grail. And he drinks from it, and he chose wisely. It brings everlasting life. And I tell you that story because the story of Donovan, what Donovan did in choosing the shiny, the grand cup, that's, that's the story of humankind, right? If left to ourselves, we're taking the shiny, the grand cup, over the dull, uh, inexpensive, whatever it is. Whether that's the better job, bigger house, nicer car, more well-behaved, easy kids. I don't know if you choose that. I don't have any kids. but um, You take that over the, the junky house on the bad side of town, the unreliable, terrible car, the job, the job that pays less with less benefits, or the, again, I don't know this, but the kids that when other people see coming, they turn and run the other way, right? Uh, <clears throat> we take the shiny. We take the grand. If, if left... To ourselves, that's what humans choose. But what does God choose? We saw what God chose, right? If you look in the text, 1 Corinthians 1, that He chose the weak and the foolish, the low and despised, even things that are not. And I hope by the end of this morning we're able to see that what God chose, that weak and that foolish, is on a whole other level from just a nice house and a, and a not nice house. What God chose is foolish and weak. And before we unpack exactly what God chose, I think it'll be helpful for us to see what, what, what it looks like for humans to choose, what they would choose, and what other religions kind of might, might choose. And so, to do that, most, if not all, religions, and Christianity would be included here, have this similar issue, a similar problem of God being perfect, holy, higher power, whatever it is, being perfect, holy, above, and humans not being that, right? And, and for Christians, we call that sin. Um, <clears throat> not all religions call it that, but virtually all religions have this problem. And so, how do other religions resolve this problem? And I believe the answer to that is really important, and that's why we're talking about why I bring up other religions this morning. 
It's because if you talk to somebody from another religion for any amount of time and, and, and get their feel on, on how they think this problem is resolved between God and higher power and them, you'll quickly see that they believe Christianity functions the same way and that we resolve this problem, all religions resolve this problem by climbing the ladder up to God, right? By choosing the shiny cup, by, by doing the steps to be a good person more like their higher power. And they believe Christianity to do the same. And that's why I bring it up, is because Christianity is not that way. Um, <clears throat> but they, they think it's just, yeah, choosing the shiny, the grand cup, by taking a pilgrimage, right, potentially, following instructions on how to do a certain practice that will make you more in tune with your true self, who's in tune with, the na- with nature and the universe and their higher power. That's how you resolve this problem. All other religions teach you how to climb the ladder to be more like God. That's how they fix this problem of God being perfect and humans not. Some of you already, already know, and I would, I would guess with Mike, knowing Mike and Bobby and your other leadership, that you've been told that this is, or, or learned, that this is not how Christianity works, right? But, because we're sinful humans, it, we're not immune to falling in to this habit. You say, wait, 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 no, no, Christianity doesn't work like that, I'm not going to do that. Well, you're not gonna, maybe you're not going to sin today, because it's Sunday, right? But let's say tomorrow... You, you sin because it's Monday and nobody likes Mondays. And <clears throat> so you sin tomorrow and what are you, you're tempted to do what? To resolve that sin. You think, man, I, I can fix this. It's not a big deal, right? And, and how do you fix that? By, by doing good, by showing up to church more this week, uh, this month, by serving a little bit more, um, giving, giving more of your money, more of your time, or uh, um, <clears throat> reading your Bible a little bit more tomorrow. Um, We try to make ourselves better, right? We try to choose the shiny cup. That's going to fix this. And it it seems, well, before I get to that, actually, um, a little bit more. uh, The pastor that I, I, of the church that I was a part of when I was in college, talked about this a lot. He talked about it often. He referred to it as like health bar Christianity. And that really resonated with me because uh, there was most of my life in middle school, high school, and into college. And what he meant by that was that you, you play those old video games where you're a character and you've got a health bar above or below your character, right? Um, and, and as you went along in your journey, you would lose health. And if you took damage from the enemy, you would lose health. And, uh, but you could raise your health bar um, by going and, and getting energy, by... by going to a, a medical like emblem thing and taking some of that, what, whatever it was, eating food, whatever the video game called for. And that was, the, that was the video game. Lose health, regain it. And that was, as I said, Christianity for me in middle school and high school. I'd, you, and maybe for some of you. You'd sin during the week, sin on the weekend, but on Sunday you serve uh, at church. You show up and, and your health bar goes, goes back up. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you greet and your health bar grows up a little bit more. Or uh, you fix coffee and your health bar goes up a lot more. Or you serve in kids' church and your health bar goes way up. And, you, and really, you, you can never like sin again. It doesn't matter if you serve in kids' church. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you get the idea. Health bar Christianity. Choosing, it's choosing the shiny cup. It's what all the other religions teach as well. And, and it seems wise. seems logical 
Um, and that's why it's man-made religion that people buy into. That's why it's an easy temptation or misunderstanding of Christianity. Because it, it seems wise that if I can just be strong enough, climb higher, do enough good, and be somebody, then, then it'll be okay. It'll be all right. But we see in 1 Corinthians 1 that God shows something different for us. How does He resolve this problem of man, which again, for Christians, for us, is, is sin. And sin, if you didn't know, is terrible, disgusting rebellion and even treason against the good, holy, and perfect God and King. And again, knowing, knowing your leadership here and some of you, I, I think you would agree with that definition of sin, but if for whatever reason you think, oh, sin's, sin's bad, but it's not that bad. Like you said, rebellion and treason. Like, it's not that bad. I want to give you this uh, John Piper quote that I think will help us understand sin a little bit more. John Piper says this, What is sin? It is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, and finally, the person of God not loved. That is sin. There's two quick things that I want us to know about sin from this quote. And the first one being that, that sin is horrible, disgusting, rebellion, treason against the good, holy God. All of those attributes of God are true to the nth degree. Beyond what we can comprehend, God is glorious, holy, great, powerful, more than we can imagine. And to not honor or reverence or savor or trust that God is terrible. It's rebellion and it's treason. And then the second thing, which is a little bit more clear, and I think some of you probably already thought this in, in reading this quote, is that sin is prevalent in our lives. If you were thinking, man, I did good last week. I didn't kill anybody. Uh, I didn't sin. Um, hopefully this is a little bit more eye-opening. Man, I, I didn't honor God or fear God or cherish God this week. And so, what does God do to resolve this prevalent horrible problem of sin in our lives? You guys know the story, right? God chose to leave heaven as Jesus and magically incarnate as the great Caesar in charge of Rome and take over the world and make Israel powerful over all the nations, right? No, not at all. That would be choosing the shiny, the grand cup, right? But God chose the weak and the foolish. And the story is that we know from Philippians 2 and the Gospels that, that God did leave heaven in Jesus' Son. He didn't consider equality a thing to be grasped, but He left heaven. He was born to a poor, young, unwed couple in a barn. And He became a carpenter. He worked with His hands. He labored hard for His, for his upbringing. And then He, that is God, remember, died on a Roman cross, a torture device. And those of you who are like me, who grew up in the church, and you hear that story, and you think, wow, that's, that's grand, that's beautiful, I love that. I want us to look again a little closer and see that it's truly weak and foolish. Because Mary, who is born to, Mary the mother of Jesus, she was 
She was young, poor, and a female. All characteristics to people around her in that day they would consider unusable by God. But God chose Mary to be used by him, not, not just a little bit, but for the most important act of obedience, God chose Mary. And Mary said yes, not just to burying the Messiah, right? But she chose yes to, to a scandalous pregnancy, a pregnancy out of wedlock. And God chose the weak and the foolish. And Mary was absolutely weak. She was low and despised. She didn't have anything, and God chose her. And that's Mary. What about the cross? We learned at the end that, that the cross is, is where, how Jesus, God, died. <clears throat> and sometimes we think of the cross as a, as a decoration, as a, as a piece of jewelry that you wear sometimes, or a cool picture um, at, at sunset, sunrise. Um, <clears throat> but the cross for Jews was something entirely different. You see, crucifixion, death on a cross, um, happened often under Roman rule. But... It never happened to Roman citizens. And so what does that mean? It means that, that for Jews, anytime they saw a, cru- a crucifixion, a cross, they were reminded that they were oppressed, that they were inferior, that they were weaker. So that's what the cross was. The cross was also extremely painful and brutal. It was torturous. I'm not going to go into any detail. You can watch The Passion by Mel Gibson. You'll get all the detail you want and then some. Um, it was painful. And it was also unbelievably shameful dying in this way. It was public. You're stripped of your clothes and you're mocked from beginning to end. This is what the cross was. And this is what God chose. And if, if you hear all that and you still think, man, um, that's not enough weak and foolish. Like it, it, it's, the cross was bad, but it wasn't that bad. I'm still going to have decoration or jewelry of the cross. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but... Uh, for the sake of right now, um, let me make this one more connection that I think will help us see the cross, how weak and foolish it is. And I want to make this connection carefully and lovingly based on where our country is right now on, this, on a topic closely tied to this. And from what I can tell, from what I've researched, the cross is pretty similar to a, a noose in the time of slavery, in the time of an- the antebellum and Jim Crow laws that followed. You see, they're both, they're both shameful, happen in public, both unbelievably painful. And then, um, <clears throat> white people would kill black people on a noose. They wouldn't kill other white people, right? And so, the, the cross and the noose is always a reminder of, of the people looking on. If they look like that person hanging on the noose, hanging on that tree, it's a reminder that I'm oppressed. I'm low and I'm despised. That was the cross for a first century Jew. And that's what God chose. And to the outsider, it's, it's foolish. It's weak, it's low and despised. God dying in that way, it's laughable in the eyes of the world. But look at 1 Corinthians 1, 25. It says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Because you, you and I know, that Christ did not die on a cross because he committed a crime or because he sinned. He died to fulfill Scripture, to be the perfect atoning sacrifice for us in our place. And he rose, defeating death and sin forever. Um, Hebrews 7 tells us that he's able to save completely 
and at all times. This is the opposite of what, uh, <clears throat> of what we see human wisdom and human strength, right? Because there are always new ideas, new, new foundings in science, new philosophy that's coming and going. It's temporary. You can just look at 2020. and In March, they were saying, don't wear masks. The medical workers need masks. And, and now they're telling, telling you masks are, are helpful and important. And, and I'm sorry if that was a hot-button issue for some of you. It's just an easy one to, to look at. Um, you can think of many examples, right, of new ideas, um, um, science and philosophy developing and, and being temporary. Or, and that's human, human wisdom. You can also look at human strength. Records are always being broken. New, better athletes are always coming around. This year, and also in 2020, there's a guy named Joshua Chip Tege. Um, I, you guys probably don't care about this at all, but I'm going to tell you anyways. There's uh, <clears throat> a guy named Joshua Chip Tege. He ran three, three races this year, just three. A road 5K, a track 5K, and a track 10K. And he broke the world record in all of them. <laughs> it's insane. Um, <clears throat> but again, you guys probably don't care, but that's super cool. Uh, <laughs> point is that human wisdom, human strength, it's temporary. It's fleeting. But the foolishness of God the weakness of God in Mary and in the cross is forever. It's seen forever. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the wisdom and it's the power of God. The cross made beautiful. Mary, um, sorry, the cross made beautiful. Death defeated, bringing life where there was once no life. And that's going to bring us to 2 Corinthians 4. As we close this morning, if you want to turn over there, Second Corinthians 4, again, it'll be on the screens as well. And we'll find out that this too is foolish and weak. But God chose it in His sovereignty and made it beautiful. Just like He made Mary beautiful, just like He made the cross beautiful, this too He makes beautiful. So this is Second Corinthians 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. <clears throat> but we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death. For Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. It began saying that we have this treasure in jars of clay. And I have a treasure here that I brought, um, that I was given quite a bit ago. And I've got a, a gold cylinder here, if you can't tell. Um, pure gold cylinder This is worth about a million dollars, I've been told. <clears throat> And those of you who know anything about gold, you say, man, that can't weigh but two pounds. A 30-pound bar of gold doesn't weigh a million dollars. Yeah, well, you're talking about bars. I've got a cylinder here. Cylinder's a treasure. Um, <clears throat> and and where, does, where does worldly wisdom um, tell, tell me to put this treasure? Somewhere super safe, somewhere strong, where it can't be taken. Um, whether that's a, a bank um, if you're Ron Swanson, you'd, you'd bury it somewhere, right? Or if you're Mr. Krabs, you'd put it under your mattress. Any Parks and Rec or SpongeBob fans? Um, <clears throat> no, but, but worldly wisdom tells you to put it somewhere strong, somewhere safe. 
But where does God choose to put his treasure? Which, if, if you read the first part of 2 Corinthians 4, we know, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where does he choose to put his treasure? In jars of clay? That doesn't make any sense. And, and though I was able to get my hands on this treasure, I, I couldn't find any jars of clay. But thankfully, we've got a close second. We've got a, a brown paper sack. A plastic Walmart bag. It's the equivalent of, of jars of clay in their day. <clears throat> and um, it's weak and it's foolish to put treasure in a brown paper sack in jars of clay, right? <clears throat> but God chose the weak and foolish. So we've got this treasure in jars of clay, or in our sake, a brown paper sack. <clears throat> and and we, we talked about what the treasure is, um, but the brown paper sack is us, right? We're the jars of clay. We're the weak and foolish treasure keepers. And look with me at what the text says next. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. It doesn't take much to do that to a brown paper sack, and it doesn't take much to do that to us. See, we're, we're weak, we're often foolish, we're low and despised at times, but God chose us because when we're afflicted when friends at school or in the neighborhood make fun of us for not giving in to peer pressure when we're stepped on um, at work from people trying to climb the corporate ladder and establish in the back we're afflicted or we're afflicted when um, we've been laid off from work during 2020 in COVID, we've been laid off, or we're afflicted when um, <clears throat> we've blindsided by huge medical expenses, and we're afflicted, or we're perplexed because our, our kids were misbehaving at school, but now school is home, and we don't know how to homeschool, uh, <clears throat> we don't know how to be a mom, a homeschool teacher, an uh, <clears throat> um, uh, uh, online student. Um, and, and a wife all at the same time. We don't know how to be a husband or a father. We don't know how to help our friend in a difficult situation. We're perplexed. We're also persecuted. Persecuted by our boss. <clears throat> persecuted by our enemies. Persecuted by people we thought were our friends. <clears throat> and we're struck down. Struck down when a family member or ourselves gets diagnosed with a... Uh, terminal illness, or we're struck down when we lose a friend or family member to COVID, we're struck down. And you look at this and say, man, I've been afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. I can't be a vessel to hold God's treasure. I can't be chosen by God to be used by Him in spreading the gospel, growing the kingdom, fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm not smart enough, outgoing enough. I don't even get out enough anymore because of the virus. But God chose you. Um, 
I should have done this first. It might not even work with the lights being on. But uh, God shows you in all your weakness, in all your thoughts of uselessness, unworthiness, God shows you to shine your light, shine His light in your life all the brighter. <clears throat> in all your brokenness. And we can do that this week, despite being afflicted, persecuted, perplexed, and struck down. We can go knowing that we're housing God's treasure inside of us, knowing that when that happens, His light shines all the brighter in our lives, knowing the truth that we find elsewhere in the Corinthian letters, that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Let's do that this week. And this is all possible because of what we remember when we approach the communion table. And the communion table um, in 2020 is, uh, are these little cups in the seats in front of you. Um, are those chairs designed to hold these? It's like perfect. But <clears throat> um, this is possible because of what we remember when we take communion. Because <clears throat> this is 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 8, once again. It says that we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We're not crushed. We're not driven to despair. And we're not forsaken. We're not destroyed. Why? Because Christ was on our behalf. First Corinthians, or not First Corinthians. Isaiah 53 tells us that He was crushed. That, that it was the will of God to crush Him. Um, we see there that he's destroyed. We know on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took, took on sin. He became sin who knew no sin. <clears throat> and he took all of God's wrath on the cross. So we never have to fear being crushed. Never have to fear being driven to despair, or forsaken, or destroyed. Because Christ's body was broken for you. And Christ's blood was shed for you. Let's remember that right now as we take communion. And let's remember that, remember that and live that out this week. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you um, for this morning. Thank you for the truth of your gospel in our lives. And uh, God, it doesn't make sense um, why you chose what you did. Um, it's weak and foolish.